if you start seeing your employees work, your reports work as a part of their longer life story and start helping them build towards that, it creates a stronger sense of loyalty from the employee to the company because they start seeing the company as kind of like a training ground for their life's work. This is Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. Our guests share the advice, insights, and inspiration to help you transform as a leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently. Let's think about the last one-on-one conversation you had with your manager. Or if you're a manager, the last one-on-one conversation you had with a team member. What did you talk about? Did you cover the immediate day-to-day challenges? Or did you take some time to think broadly about you or your team member's vision for their career? This week on the podcast, we're talking about why it's so important to have these big-picture conversations so managers can be more effective coaches and teammates can be motivated to reach that next level in their career journey. Sia Raj Parohit joins us today. She is the Global EdTech and Workforce Development Category Lead at Amazon Web Services, where she coaches team members to follow their unique career pathways. Her strong career vision has shaped many of her professional steps, starting at age 19 when she wrote a book about the skills gap in the field of engineering. She has worked throughout the education technology industry at Udacity and Springboard, and she is also the co-founder and general partner at Pathway Ventures. Sia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. So just to get started, one of the things that you've talked about, you've written about, is just this idea of coaching. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to unpack that a little bit. I, If you look at some of the data, if you remember, Google studied their managers relentlessly for a bunch of years to see if they could provide a, a data-driven set of guidance on how to be a good boss and their their Google manager research revealed one of the most important behaviors of their highest scoring managers was that they were effective coaches. And then further, like Gallup took that further and they've been studying kind of managers versus leaders and, and the role of coaching. And their their conclusion is that coaching is is the key to excellence, yet many managers resist it. And true coaching means having authentic ongoing dialogue with employees. And this is something, Sia, that I know you believe deeply in. So can you talk about the difference between a coach and a manager? And specifically, how has the power of good coaching impacted you as an employee and also as a leader? Yeah. So I once read that during interviews at LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman often asked candidates, what's the next job that you want to do after LinkedIn? So honestly, it is an awkward question for both sides. But how Reed explained it and something that I've thought about and kind of internalized a lot is that he says that it's because we at LinkedIn are so committed to that idea that we're going to be transformative in the prospect of employer's career. So we want to know, like, what's next? Like, how can we help prepare you for that? So back in 2017, I was interviewing to join Springboard. At that point, was an early stage ed tech company. And the CEO, Gautam Tambay, actually asked me this question. He's like, what will you do after Springboard? 
I told Gotham what I was looking to build at that time, which was like a career in venture capital longer term. And what he said is that when a coach knows like what their reports are aspiring for, it helps like open up many more like opportunities for like meaningful professional development. What he said, which really stuck with me is that we're building a long-term relationship together, one that'll span across many companies as we grow in our careers. And what was super cool is over the next couple of years, he actually spent a lot of time helping me gain those skills through like different types of projects, through industry introductions. And when the time came, he was like taking my manager hat off and putting on like Sia's mentor hat. I think you should go pursue this opportunity. There are managers who help you do well in your job. And then there are managers who like change your career trajectory. And so he got them was definitely one of them. And that's what I try to use in my own management style now. Yeah, that's great. So just as you apply that today, do you think this is hard for managers, let's say that you work with or you're trying to coach them to do this with their teammates? Is this something that managers resist? Do they lean into this? Is this hard? It is hard because day to day, there's just so many things happening that prioritizing an employee's professional development doesn't always rise to the top. But I think that's a big mistake because if you start seeing your employees work, your reports work as a part of their longer life story and start helping them build towards that, it creates a stronger sense of loyalty from the employee to the company because they start seeing the company as kind of like a training ground for their life's work. So they began like getting just much more inspired. They connect with you as a manager much more. And practically for the business, you benefit because like when an employee leaves with two weeks notice, you're often left scrambling to figure out like how to replace them. Right. But instead, if you are like in line with what your employee is doing and how they're developing in their career, then you're able to have like a much longer like route and like much more visibility into how to make your team in a strong place for any sort of transition transition. Yeah, it's in the company's best interest to become a learning organization, right? To encourage this type of development. Is that a common idea? Yes. I mean, we obviously study it all the time, but I'm curious what your kind of lived experience is. So I've been fortunate that I've seen that several times in my career in terms of managers who looked at the big picture. And that really benefited both me and the organization, because as an individual, I just like uh, immerse myself much more into the company because I'm like, they're like looking at my professional development as a key criteria for like how we work together. And then for the company, it was beneficial because most of my employers have had like several weeks, if not months of notice in terms of when the departure is. And that gives me time to kind of ramp up, help hire someone else as a replacement and make sure the team is in a really good place. Yeah, that's great. So let's connect this conversation, right, with managers and employees, their manager acting as a coach and helping people think about this bigger picture purpose or vision for your career. Like that's a hard thing, right? And I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, I don't know what my bigger picture is. I haven't found my purpose yet. So I'm wondering just some of your advice for, for people that they're not sure of their larger career direction. What steps can they take to gain more insight? Like you figured this out a number of times. So maybe you could talk about how did you figure this out for you? And we'll tease out the lesson for others. So 
there are two ways to find, I think, passion or like what you want to pursue in your career. One is that you kind of stumble upon it, which I did. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And the other is like conscious research by identifying the right people, having the right types of conversations and building some structure around how to figure out what you're passionate about and good at. And so I'll talk about both of those. But first, about how I stumbled into, I guess, my passion. When I was an engineering student studying computer engineering as an undergrad, I really didn't resonate with how engineering was being taught. I had always been a good student and suddenly became a straight C student when I came to engineering school. And that's also because a lot of American colleges design these weed out classes and make it actually very difficult for students to make it through their first or second year of engineering college. And so at that point, I was really feeling locked out. Like this is like a theme which I've thought a lot about, but basically I felt locked out. And at age 18, you're already going through so many life changes that this like pressure is very real on you. So what I ended up doing was I cold emailed some really famous people to ask for their opinion on why someone should study engineering. For me, it was like I wanted to hear other people's perspective being like, I know it's tough now, but maybe it'll be worthwhile in the future. Like that's what I wanted to kind of prove out. But what happened instead was that these amazing, like very like successful people invited me to have coffee with them and told me these like very interesting stories about how important engineering was as a skill set for people to have, because how financially rewarding it was, how like creative and cool the careers were, and how much the country needed good engineers. So I turned my learnings from like these different coffee chats into a book about America's job skills gap that I published in my second year. And the idea was only to share it with my classmates who were also struggling with this conversation and to make it easier for them to see that bigger picture as well. And so my career since then has been to try to fix that system. I want people to feel less locked out like 18-year-old Sia did and help them like figure out how to build pathways to get like more financially rewarding and fun careers. So that's the feeling that has defined my career. Like every career decision I've made has been centered on that. And so that's how I think about my career. How did you get the courage to email and call these people and have coffee. I can picture a lot of people typing the email and just being scared to press send or afraid to make that phone call. Where did that inner source of inspiration or courage come from? So I think two pieces. One is that I'm a natural extrovert. So talking to people is what I love and what I gain energy from. And then the second is through high school journalism, I learned how to ask the right questions, which is a skill that I think everyone should develop at every age, which is basically like obviously successful people get all sorts of emails all the time for coffee chats. And the way to really stand out is by making an ask that is so specific and sharing enough of your story that they like resonate or care to have that conversation. So as specific as you can get, as much as you can pull from things that they care about or things that they write about online and like, I guess, be able to call that piece out helps connect with people. Yeah. So here's what I wrote down. You just told us about three S's. So finding your passion, stumble and structure. So some of it's stumbling and some of it's structure. So I really like how you said that. And then asking good questions. You said everybody needs to do that, but learning how to be specific. So stumble and structure and specific. But I love the story. And I think there's a bit of motivation that I think some people aren't. They just don't take that step. And I'm wondering, 
talk about the venture capital route. How did you think about it, discover it, and what did you do? Because I think you did all of those things again. So let's kind of, let's go into that story. Yes. So as I explained, first time found, like stumbled upon that passion. The second time kind of structured my approach. And what I mean by structured my approach is when I was leaving graduate school, I really wanted to work in venture capital. It seemed like the ideal next step to learn about ed tech from an ecosystem perspective for me, having worked at like early stage companies already. So breaking into venture capital is a very tough thing to do. Even uh, when you have the right connections and those kind of things, it's very tough. But at that point, I didn't have the connections. I was graduating from grad school and I decided I'd just talk to as many people to get advice as possible. So I actually spoke with 118 venture capital funds that summer. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> and I had a spreadsheet. I was asking everyone for introductions. I was cold outreaching. Like I went to different events to meet people, like did whatever possible to kind of expand my network in that space to build the right connections. And thankfully, one of those firms gave me an internship. I'm like, sure, I'll take it and try to use that summer to both learn the VC skills, but also build a deeper connection in that sector. So I guess coming back to this idea, like not being afraid to outreach is definitely something that people need to build because no amazing career happens without that like ruthless execution and like uh, that like that skill set so i think that piece is super critical and then after that having like that very clear ask of learning about people's careers being able to add value to their careers while you're trying to grow your own is very key yeah i'm thinking there's a uh, there's a saying great vision plus poor execution equals total failure and you talked about ruthless execution. You talked to 118 venture capitalists. How did you like deal with the rejection, setbacks, people that didn't answer your call? Like, do you just power through that? And it lands you with a great outcome. But I think a lot of people don't have that relentless execution or they struggle with that. Yeah, that rejection piece, both in terms of people who don't follow up, but also opportunities that don't work out is tough, right? It takes a certain piece of telling yourself that if you try enough times, you'll land somewhere is super key. So the 118 conversations, I must have emailed hundreds of more people that didn't message me back, right? Right. And and then regarding the actual rejection of a job, that piece is hard to take in also because oftentimes we build a vision of ourselves in that next stage at a specific company. And what I've learned is it's better to have, I guess, less clarity almost on what job or career you see yourself in and more of a general like a sense of which direction you want to go into because companies and roles are going to change so much in our careers. It's just like, Having that underlying purpose, passion statement, or feeling that defines your career is the most important. The buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now.
So when we look at your career, all we see is relentless execution and success and success and success. But what we know is people have setbacks, right? Angela Duckworth at the University of Pennsylvania, she wrote a bestseller called Grit. And she did all this research for a bunch of years. And she showed that the secret to outstanding achievement isn't talent, but this blend of passion and persistence that she calls grit. And I'm wondering if you can talk about like setbacks along the way and how do you overcome them? Because, you know, it's not all perfect. Tell us about an example. So I think the best example is what I call just the year 2019. So like what happened was at that point, I had worked at two early stage companies, had worked in venture capital and really thought that graduate school, like an MBA, would be the right next step in my own upskilling journey. So I thought like there were many reasons I had in terms of why I wanted to go to business school. Like I like had worked really hard to prepare for my application and a lot of mentors and coaches had dedicated a significant amount of time to help support me on that endeavor too. But despite all of our best efforts, I didn't get in. And it was a huge setback because all of a sudden I kind of lost clarity of what I was going to do next. And I suddenly didn't have a plan B. So honestly, I think I moped for a while first. I just was sad and I'm just like, I have no way forward. And a really great coach told me that in every decade, there's inevitably going to be one or two down years. And during that time, you just have to like get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other. How I got out of that phase was by what I call like healing through community. So I started telling a lot of people about my challenges in terms of, I don't know what I'm going to do next, right? So, and I know it sounds weird in retrospect to put so much emphasis in graduate school, but I think a lot of people struggle with like whatever that next thing is for them and not being able to get there. And what was super cool is when I started sharing these stories with the community, people started telling me their like stories in terms of like their struggles with balancing work and life or like their struggles of figuring out what's next for them. That actually um, led into me helping co-found the Women at Springboard community, where we were all talking about like these very deep issues that affect every professional and in their own way. So I think healing through community enabled me to kind of understand that everyone's experiencing these challenges and basically helped build a resilience almost to get through that other people like these great ed tech CEOs I admire for like, Hey, we didn't get into business school either. And that's why we build these amazing companies. So like being able to hear these stories and share that deep pain point helped me heal. And then thankfully eventually led me to my job at Amazon where I do learn those business skills daily. So this whole idea of healing through community. How do you create that sense of belonging? I go back to courage again. How did you, what, what made you think I'm going to start an aspiring women leaders employee resource group? Like what was going on and what made you think to act again? You're very action oriented again, relentless execution. I think there's so much that we can learn from you. So here you are, you didn't get into B school. You did this. And I'm just curious, how, where did you get, again, the, the courage to pull that off and what was going on? How'd you do it? Definitely. So first it started with just those like direct one-on-one -on -one conversations. Then I would tell mentors, coaches, and also just like people I was close to or admired that, hey, this is going on. And then I realized that so many people were experiencing this, despite how beautiful people's LinkedIn profiles or glamorous their Instagram photos were. And I think that's what made me realize that this 
Like, if everyone is experiencing it, it can't be that difficult to overcome. And I wanted to make more people realize that. And so that community was an outlet for other people to share their stories as well and get that support in a safe space. And what I encourage for people who may not feel confident enough to kind of build a community for themselves is to link with people who are extroverted or want to build that kind of community or run those. Like join a small group or even like two or three friends and start sharing it with them because it's very likely that the more you articulate your problems, the more you'll be able to find solutions for them. Yeah, and it's interesting the way like, again, articulate the problems, get with people, right? Build the relationships that helps you find solutions, which goes all the way back to what you described in terms of coming, you know, sort of stumbling upon your sort of vision for your career and then structuring around getting there. And I read some really interesting research that it shows that people who take the time to develop their vision, like just come to have a purpose or a vision, just something like some hopes and dreams, that the act of doing that lowers stress and anxiety and helps people have better balance in their life. And I just find that interesting because when I look at the research right now on stress and anxiety, it's off the charts, right? Burnout, it's off the charts. Um, Work-life balance or finding that harmony between work and life. Uh, we talked to Stu Friedman as a professor at the Wharton School that wrote the book Total Leadership that has been studying that for many, many years. And I think, so when you figure that out, it increases the likelihood of realizing your vision. So there's all of these things are completely interconnected about doing that. And I just, I wanted to go back and, and maybe just talk more about the power of vision and how you developed a vision for yourself. So back to, I guess, my engineering school story, like in terms of being an undergrad and not having clarity of what's next, very transparently, there was that fear of just like not being able to tap into opportunities because companies didn't want to address like someone who had less than a 3.0 GPA, which I was very embarrassed to have at that point, right? So definitely there was a lot of stress and sadness as I was encountering. But at that point, I realized that instead of feeling so locked out of that opportunity, maybe I can create a different pathway of like accomplishing those goals I had for my career instead of going the structured route. So deciding I was actually going to develop my own path, which for me at that point, when I released my book was the same year that Udemy, Coursera, Udacity all were coming up. And I'm like, wait, maybe there's an opportunity to like tell my story in a different way to be able to connect with this industry that's coming up and kind of utilize that like the rise of that industry to just help other people learn engineering in better ways. That's where it started. So what I recommend for people is that think very deeply about what one of the most transformative or like even like deeply hurtful moments in your life was like when you felt there was like some sort of injustice from a systems perspective. Think about what that big mission is, because one of the greatest things about like technology at this age is that we're able to help transform those systems that like impact us negatively. If you're able to find a passion through something like that, it becomes the most powerful because every day you get the privilege of helping fix that like problem. So the guiding passion for my life is to help other people feel less locked out. I experienced that as a student. I experienced that sometimes in my 20s and really want to help people like be able to figure out whatever is next for them that helps them live meaningful, happier, more financially rewarding lives. 
So every decision I make in my career is to think about that. Like, how can we like unlock more people's potential by helping them get the right types of opportunities to grow in their careers and be more successful? Once you've figured out how to get unlocked to help other people feel unlocked and how that has crossed really your whole career, it drives you and energizes you. And I think following some of your lessons are exactly what people need to do to get that courage to execute, right? To step up their their game, to stumble, which I would say, you know, it's kind of, you're curious, you're a learner, you're driving forward, but you're also executing and you're doing that in both sides kind of relentlessly. And I think it creates a flywheel that you sort of keep going. So I really, uh, I love the story of how you help people feel unlocked. So see, as we wrap up here, we have a question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, what are you curious about and learning now? What's got your attention these days? So I've been thinking a lot about education policy in the United States. Over the past 10 years, I've worked with a lot of cool ed tech companies in terms of just building great products. But now I'm realizing that there's a lot of complexity on how those products make it into the hands of students across the country. And it's really tricky because, again, so much cool innovation is happening, but it's not making it into the classrooms across different states in the U.S. So I'm learning more about policy to be able to understand how technology and policy can work more closely together to help students across the country, again, feel less locked out of their own potential and just like grow in their own like student educational journeys. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sia, for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. If you're in a moment of uncertainty, remember a few lessons Sia shared with us today. You need to stumble to find your passion. You need structure for ruthless execution, and you need to be specific to ask good questions. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.